My name is Steve Lombardo. I'm the uh, campus pastor at our Plano campus. I'm going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, we're going to end up there, and we're talking about a, a, a serious issue today. As you heard the music and the transition, it is a serious uh, topic. Uh, we're talking about getting help in this sermon series, and we all need help. We all need God's help, and we need the help of one another uh, in life. We face things that are very difficult, and that's what this series is about. We're, we're talking about topics that are, are hard to deal with, and we're seeing what the Scriptures have to say about them. Let me give you some statistics for those of you uh, who like numbers. 90,000 people this year in our country will die because of alcohol, Okay. 130 people will die today in our country because of an opioid overdose. Right this second, 30,000 people, men and women, are uh, looking at pornography online in our country. Now, some of those numbers are hard to understand because our country's so big. You're like, what does 30,000 people looking at porn right now mean? Well, here's what it means 76% of men and women age 18 to 30, 76% consume porn on a regular basis. Okay, you could say they're addicted to it. Now, I just mentioned three big things that can be addictions, right? Drugs, alcohol, sex addiction. Uh, And and things are only getting worse. As a matter of fact, during the COVID uh, crisis and pandemic, which we're thankfully coming out of, They said that addiction and addictive behaviors had just skyrocketed. Matter of fact, last summer, the National Institutes of Health uh, came out with a study, this article, uh, looking at the rise of addiction and and addictive behaviors that coincided with the COVID lockdowns. I mean, you're locked down. you got nothing to do. Why not drink a little bit more, you know? Um, I'm filled with anxiety. I don't know what's going to hold the day going to hold for me, or or or, or what's going to happen with COVID. So why not pop some extra pills? People got lot um, a lot more addicted during this past year uh, to substances and to activities that are harmful. So let's start. Uh, just let me give you an ad- a, a definition of addiction, so we kind of know broadly what I, I'm going to be talking about this morning. And what we're going to go to God's word for, for help. Addiction, one of the definitions I saw for addiction is, it said addicted to something. And I thought, how can you define something with using the same word? I was always taught that you're not supposed to do that. And so I found this other definition that I like better. It said repeated involvement with a substance or activity despite the harm it causes because of the pleasure that it brings or that it brought. You see, most addictive things, substances, it will bring a certain amount of pleasure, but it's a diminishing return. And over time, that thing doesn't bring the same amount of pleasure, and so you got to up the intake of that thing to, to find the same pleasure that you once had, and uh, pretty soon you find yourself in a vicious circle of, uh, of diminishing pleasure and increasing addictive amounts of whatever the thing is that you're consuming. Now, I want to go to Galatians chapter 5 because Galatian, uh, the Galatian church was an interesting church. The Apostle Paul, who had been part of the start of the church, he brought the message of Jesus Christ to this group of people. They believed in Jesus. 
They believe that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus died for their sin, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that Jesus is coming again. And and we get to live in the forgiveness that He gives His blood shed for me on the cross. And these people believed in Jesus. They, they, They received Him. They trusted in Him. But then after a time, there seemed to be another group of people in the church that kind of gained power. And they were called the Judaizers. The Judaizers believed that uh, you have Jesus, your faith, that's fine. But you also have to have the Old Testament laws, the Old Covenant commandments. And you must keep those. Specifically, what Paul writes in the book of Galatians, in the letter to them, he addresses this uh, idea that you need to be circumcised as a Christian in order to truly be saved. And so people were coming to know Jesus Christ, non-Jewish people. And these Judaizers would say, okay, you're a Christian now, good. Well, you're not truly a Christian until you become circumcised, until you follow the old covenant laws. And the Apostle Paul, he writes to them, and he says in chapter 1, verse 6 of Galatians, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He's saying, I I can't believe you're already going to some different gospel than the one that you've received from me. And he says, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, it's always a distortion of the good news when somebody says, yeah, you must believe in Jesus, but you also have to do this. Because in essence, what they're saying is that Jesus isn't sufficient. That Jesus' death on the cross wasn't good enough. That Jesus' resurrection from the grave didn't amount to all that you need to make sure you're okay with God. That your sins are forgiven. And then he goes on to write to them in Galatians chapter 4. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? He says this idea that you need more than just Jesus, this idea that you got to follow the Old Testament laws, the Old Covenant laws, this idea that that's got to be part of your salvation, that, that's slavery, he says. You're going to become slaves to that. And then we come to Galatians 5, verse 1. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And we all know slavery was a dark part of, of our history. We're so thankful for the Christian men and women who fought to abolish it. But do you know that there's still slavery today that exists? And it's slavery that comes from within. It's slavery that comes through uh, an addictive behavior or a substance, something that would seek to have power over us and make us its slave. And so many people inside and outside of the church need to be delivered from this powerful slavery, this yoke of slavery. You know, Jesus sets us free. That's the good news. If you just want to fast forward to like the great news is Jesus sets us free. In John chapter 8, 32, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In verse 36 of John chapter 8, he says, he who the Son sets free 
is free indeed. When you come to Jesus Christ by faith, you receive freedom. Freedom from what? Well, freedom from sin. Sin doesn't have power over you anymore like it once did. You have freedom from sin. You have freedom from your flesh. That's from yourself. Now you don't just have to follow your carnal desires. Every time something rises up, you you got to follow through with, with your flesh. No, you don't have, have to. You have power over it. Jesus has delivered you. He's given you freedom from that. The New Testament also says that we have freedom from the law, too, as well. Now we're, our, our faith is not boiled down to uh, um, keeping a certain list of rules and regulations. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He set us free from the law. Christ has set us free. And so we want to. Don't you want to live in freedom? Freedom is a great place to to be. And not to be enslaved to anything or to anyone. So in order to experience this freedom that Christ provides us, I want to give you three things today um, that hopefully will help us in our battle against being addicted. Addiction. The first thing is this, is that we would examine the problem. Examine the problem. I tried to read all of the stuff that I could uh, about addiction um, the past month or so, and there is so much material. Um, Non-Christian sources, Christian sources, uh, counseling and psychology, just so much, so much material that you can get your hands on and so many different categories of addiction. And and so I kind of just had to start from all over and and just say, as I look at it through my simple eyes, how do I see uh, addiction and and, uh, biblically speaking? And so here's what I came up with. First category is not sinful, not sinful addictions. So this would be things that are morally neutral. They don't have any any, uh, goodness or, or, or badness about them, for example. But a person can be addicted to it. For example, coffee. Coffee. Coffee, you can be addicted to coffee. Or maybe it's the caffeine in the coffee. But maybe, no, maybe you like the decaffeinated coffee. Anybody like the decaffeinated coffee? Don't raise your hand. That's just worthless. But anyway, um, (laughs) decaffeinated coffee is something that you can be addicted to. You know, somebody else can be addicted to, somebody's told me this, exercise. I've never had a problem with that. But people say... You can become addicted to exercise. Exercise is in and of itself, it can be a good thing, great thing. How about video games? I'm not talking about a sinful video game. I'm not talking about a violent video game or a sexual video game. I'm talking about just a simple video game. Can anybody become addicted to a video game? Yes. So they're not sinful. And yet, it is a problem if we become a slave to them. How about the second category? Sinful. This, these things are sinful. So they're not morally neutral. So pornography, for example, is sinful. It's sexual relations outside of marriage, even if it's with the device that you're watching it on. It's with yourself. It's in your mind. It's lust. It's a lust of the flesh. And you know what's really amazing when I've studied some of these different addictions, including pornography? Um, of young adults believe that pornography is, there's nothing wrong with it at all, not whatsoever. 96%. How about lying? There's some people that are addicted to lying. They can't tell the truth. There are some people that are addicted to gossiping. And every single time you talk to them, they always seem to have something juicy to say about somebody else. And they can't wait to tell you the news that that they know. 
about this person, this individual. There are things that in and of themselves are sinful that we become addicted to. We can become addicted to. Then there's this third category, and I think this is the most difficult category to talk about and to understand, and I hope you're honest as you examine the problem for yourself. It's, it's uh, things, actions, thoughts, substances, things that can lead to sin. But they start out, they might not be sin in the, in the starting off of it, okay? For example, drinking, drinking alcohol. You can point to different places in Scripture that talk about the good, that good gift that God gives in alcohol. And so drinking in and of itself isn't a sin, but drunkenness is a sin. And there's numerous verses in the Scriptures that tell us that to, to not be drunk with wine. It leads to debauchery, to be filled with the Spirit, not to be drunk. And so drinking can lead to Drunkenness, it can lead to a sin. How about eating? We all have to eat. We all have to eat food. Eating, it's a pleasure. It's a gift that God gives us. How many people are going to enjoy lunch today? You're going to go home, you're going to sit down before a beautiful meal, or going to go out somewhere, you're going to enjoy the good gifts that God gives us in food. I'm going to do that today, okay? But if you're getting up three, four, five times in the night, to eat that chocolate that you can't stand to live without, you might have a problem. Okay, the, the food, eating is not a sin, but gluttony is. You have a power over a person. Or how about drugs? Prescription drugs. Now, I'm not talking about other drugs. Prescription drugs. You injure your back and you have back surgery and, and you're prescribed and, uh, something for the pain. And, and then pretty soon maybe even through no fault of your own. You didn't even see it sneaking up on you. Now all of a sudden you, you got to take these pills just to get up in the morning and, and to, to be able to get around. And, and now you're, you're in drug abuse before it happens. It's things, actions that can lead to sin. It can lead there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Apostle Paul says that there are lots of things that are permissible for us. There are lots of things that I can do. He's speaking about food. He's saying everything is permissible. But he says, I will not be mastered by anything. I will not become a slave to anything. The Christian should be alert to the fact that there are things that can enslave us. And like Paul, we should agree with, with Paul. I might be able to do lots of different things in my freedom that God gives me. But I'm going to be careful in this. Nothing is going to take the place of Christ. He's my master. Nothing's going to master me. So here's the application. Do you have a problem? Examine yourself this morning. And last Sunday was Communion Sunday, and I'm sure you do the same thing here. As we take communion, as we take the bread and the juice that symbolizes the body and blood of Jesus, we remember what Jesus did for us. We are told in the Scriptures to examine ourselves. Don't examine the people around you. Examine yourself. You know, I, I know sometimes you pray for your 
husband, you pray for your spouse, you pray for your loved ones, you want them to come to church, and I hope they're listening to this message. You might even be thinking that now. I hope, I hope so-and-so's listening to this message. I hope they're hearing it. They really need to hear that. And that's okay to pray for that person, definitely, and bring them to church and hope for them, but don't be the Holy Spirit for them this morning. You, you examine yourself today. And, and trust God with your loved one. Ask yourself this question. Is there anything that is having a power over you that is threatening, maybe, to bring you under its yoke of slavery. We've got to examine the problem. Then, secondly, to experience this freedom, we have to embrace the process. Look at the process in, in chapter 1 of verse 5 of Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, And do not submit. The first thing is to stand firm. To stand firm. That's to persevere. That's to persist. That's to keep on. That's to be strong. Stand firm. So how do you stand firm? Well, first, very foundationally, we must be saved. We must be set free. He's assuming these Christians, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Part of standing firm, you can't stand firm if you're not saved. If you're not standing on the rock, if you're not on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, are you saved? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you come to the place in Romans chapter 10 where you've confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on the name of Jesus to save you? Are you believing in him? Are you following him? Not are you perfect, not are you sinless, no, but are you a Christian? Are you a believer? It is a simple thing. The next service, there's a baptism. It's The gospel is so simple that a, a child can believe, that a child can come to faith, but but don't be confused by its simplicity to think that it's not hard. It's simple, but it is not easy to come to Christ. Why? Because we have to deal with ourselves. We have to turn from our own ways. Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. You have to come to repentance and faith. That means you're going this way in your life and you repent and I'm going to go God's way even though it makes me uncomfortable, even though it's not what I want to do, even though I have my own life and my own desires and my own plans. It's simple, the gospel, the good news, but it's not easy. But you must be saved. You must come to, to, to the cross. You must see the seriousness of your sin, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you must believe. That's the foundation of standing firm. But then the second thing I would say in standing firm is to pray. Is to pray and to ask God for, for deliverance, to ask God to deliver you. God can, and he does, miraculously deliver people from addiction. So pray for it. Pray for a dramatic, pray for a drastic deliverance from whatever the thing is that's enslaving you. We've heard testimony of people where God reached down and, and maybe they were drinking for 20 years and it was gone. And they never wanted an, an, a drop of alcohol again. Or, or the person who was addicted to drugs and God reached down 
and into the miry clay and saved them and delivered them and, and took away the desire ever again. God can do that with whatever it is. He can do it, and he, he can do it for you. Call out to him for deliverance. And keep calling out to him. And keep calling out to him. And keep going to him. And this is, by the way, if your husband or your wife is dealing with addiction, keep praying for him or her. Keep calling out to God for deliverance. Keep going to him. We learn this from Jesus in Luke chapter 18. He tells us the parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge. There's this judge. He's a rotten judge. He doesn't like God, doesn't fear God, and he doesn't like the people that he judges. But there's this widow that comes to him, and she wants justice. She wants to be treated the way that she should, as a widow, be treated under the law. And she goes to this judge for justice, and he denies her. And she goes back to him for justice, and he denies her. One day, and she keeps doing this over and over and over again. One day, the judge wakes up, and he's like, "I I don't like God. I don't fear God. I don't care about God. I definitely don't care about these rotten people I have to judge. But you know what? There's this widow She's so persistent. She's coming to me all the time. I'm just going to give her what she's asking for. And and Jesus says, how much more will our loving, loving Heavenly Father give to us when we ask of Him? I think the point is to keep asking. Keep persisting. Call out to God in prayer to help you with the thing that you're facing this morning. I don't know what it is that you're facing. Are you facing something? The third thing is to confess your sin. To keep short accounts with God. See, some of these things in that third category, kind of the gray area, they they can sneak up on you and all of a sudden it's like a full-blown sin and you're becoming enslaved to it. The way that we counteract that as a Christian is we, with the Holy Spirit's witness in our lives and our hearts, we confess sin when we realize it and we turn from our sin. We keep short accounts. We examine ourselves. We confess our sin to Him. See, Paul says if we don't do that, we run the risk of giving the devil an opportunity in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, he says it about anger. He says, um, be angry and do not sin. You know you can be angry and not sin? How many people just needed to hear that today? You can be angry and not sin. That's a good thing. You can be angry and not sin. Jesus was angry, and he didn't sin. He turned over the tables in the temple. He's ticked off. Paul says, be angry. It's okay. You can be angry. But don't let the sun go down on your wrath, meaning deal with that anger sooner rather than later. He says, if you don't do that, you give the devil an opportunity. You give the devil a foothold. The best example I can think of is it's, it's the wife who marries her high school sweetheart, and he's pretty much a jerk to her, and she starts getting angry with him, but she kind of puts it off, and maybe this is the way I'm supposed to feel when I'm married, and uh, it goes by for another year, and she's angry at him, and he talks bad and talks down to her, and, and, she, and, she, and then they have kids, and he's gone all the time, and she's angry about that, but she doesn't talk about it. She doesn't deal with that anger. She, she lets the sun go down on her wrath. And one day they wake up, they're 20 years married, their marriage is about ready to fall apart because she hates him. She can't stand him. 
And she has resentment in her heart toward him because she never dealt with the anger that she had. And the devil seized the opportunity. It was a foothold for him to come in and harden her heart and make her heart cold. In the same way, this is the same thing with with addictions. Some of the things aren't even a sin. But if we don't deal with them in a timely manner, the devil can become have an opportunity to come into our lives and to do damage and to seek to cause destruction. Don't let that happen. Don't give the devil a foothold. Keep short accounts. Confess your sin. If you're angry, deal with it. Deal with it before the, before the sun sets. Now, he's not literally saying that you have to deal with it before that night. The whole point is that you just deal with it sooner rather than later. If it was true that before the sun sets, I might move to Alaska during the summer just so I can be angry for three months, okay? So it's not literally that. It's, it's just deal with it. So embrace the process. Stand firm. The second thing he says is to do not submit. Do not submit. This is an act of the will, not to submit. This is, this, this is you're, you're fed up with the thing that you're struggling with, and you're not going to deal with it any longer. You're going to, you make a decision. By God's strength, by God's power, you don't submit any longer. The problem is, with addictions, is the person has submitted to this thing so much that it's become, it's become part of them. It's influencing the way that they're thinking, and the way that they're making decisions, and the way that they move, and act, and interact with people. And it, it's like, it's become part of them. You ever heard of the uh, anglerfish? The anglerfish is one of the ugliest fish uh, in the sea, if you ask my opinion. Um, it uh, lives at the bottom of the ocean, very deep, very deep. Actually, it was in the movie Finding Nemo. You remember, that was one of the fish that was depicted uh, there in fi- Finding Nemo. Well, the anglerfish is not just very ugly. It, it also reproduces. Its mating uh, practices are very strange. Okay, I'll tell you about it. Um, the male, the male uh, anglerfish is very small. That's the female, by the way. The, the big fish like that, the big ugly one, is a fe- female. And uh, the male is very little, very small. And what he does, what they do to procreate, is the, the male fish... Everybody take a deep breath. This isn't going to get too uncomfortable. It's just... <laughs> the male fish attaches himself onto the underside of the female... And he dissolves into her. And they share... Yeah, it's gross. Sorry. Yeah, it is going to be gross. I should have warned you. They share blood vessels. They share nutrients. They share skin. And he becomes part of her. And that's how the eggs are fertilized. And that's how they go on for more generations. And uh, you can't even... After a while, you can't even see the male anymore. He's become part of the female. Now... um, that's what happens sometimes with addiction. Something latches onto a person, and it's a yoke of slavery, and that person lives with it, and it becomes part of them. And apart from an act of the will, God's power, absolutely, but an act of the will, God working through the person to say, I'm done. I will not submit to this any longer. Apart from that, there's going to be no separation. That thing has been part and parcel of that person for so long. 
And so one of the things that we can do with our act of the will is decide um, not to do it and to turn from it, but then put checks and balances in place to help us defeat the thing that would seek to have power over us. For example, Covenant Eyes is a program uh, that helps a person in their battle against pornography, in their battle to be pure. And, uh, and I've had Covenant Eyes uh, since I started the pastorate. And um, many years ago, I remember the church that I first served, um, what Covenant Eyes does, by the way, is it keeps track of everything that you uh, log on to, everything you go on to in your computer or your phone, and then a weekly report is sent to, in my case, it was two people. There was one person that was a close friend of mine. They got the report, and then there was one person out in the congregation, wasn't so close with, but they got the report too. And then if you went on anything questionable, they would get a special notification. And then if you uh, disabled it, they would get a notification that you disabled it too. I mean, there was, there's probably ways around all this stuff, I'm, I've been told, but I, I didn't find a way around it, okay? And that was good. Because I didn't want to submit to it. And so by an act of the will, you put things in place to help you gain the victory. And this last point, this is a big thing that we put in place to help us with the victory, is we enlist people to help us. Enlist people to help you. I love 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says that if we walk in the light as Christ is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The idea for forgiveness, to receive it, the idea of having fellowship with other people who've been forgiven, it happens in the light, not in the darkness. See, these sins and these addictions, they flourish in the darkness. That's where they, that's where they live. That's where they exist. And nobody, we don't want to share our problems with people. We don't want to pretend, we, we want to pretend like we don't have any issues or problems. I don't want to be seen as someone who has sins that, that I'm dealing with and struggling with even. And so more often than not, these sins, especially these addictive ones, they find themselves, their power in the darkness. You know who else lives in the dark? The devil. And the devil speaks his language, which he's so well at, lies, and he accuses the brethren. That's what his name, Satan, means, the accuser of the brethren. And it's in the darkness where he whispers these things to us that you are no good. How could God love you? You're pathetic. You call yourself a Christian? If your family knew what you were doing, if that people around you right now knew how many times you've done this nasty, disgusting, rotten thing. But if you walk in the light, the scripture says, in the light, the devil loses his power. In the light, the sin loses its power. It's exposed. And then you have, Scripture says, forgiveness of sins and fellowship with one another. So when you enlist others to help you, you confide in them. You expose the sin that's entangling you. And they come alongside to help you. 
Now you say, well, I've been burned before, Pastor. You don't understand. Well, I, I get it. I've been burned before too. There's sinners in the church. There's sinners in this world. You, you might get burned. But, but God's way that he's designed for our fellowship to work is that we are honest with one another and we enlist each other to help. Two are better than one in this fight for life. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, if you're going to go into a fight, go in it with two people. It's better than one. If you go in with two people, the other one's got your back. And that's the old picture of the fighting. A guy back to back and they're going into battle. And I can fight any foe here because I know that the guy on my back is protecting my, my back. And he's fighting behind me. And there's strength in that. And there's power in that. You want to move to a greater level of sanctification in your life with Jesus Christ? You want to deal with the sin that's entangling you? You want to deal with the addictive behaviors that you find yourself falling into time and time again? Enlist the Christians around you to help. That's, that's where the rubber meets the road in our relationship with one another. You know, because the church is called the hands and feet of Jesus. Meaning, me and you do the work of Jesus. And we can do that work, and somebody can do that work for you, help you in your life. So here's the last application. Tell someone what you're struggling with. So the first application was, do you have a problem? Are you examining yourself? Whatever it is. It might not be that bad of a problem. I Trust me. I've played this game before, too. You can always find people who are worse off than you. You can always find people that make your problem look like nothing. I'm not saying to compare to anybody else. I'm saying to compare to Christ. And then if you've examined and you say, I do have a problem, are you going to do battle against it? Are you going to stand firm? Or are you going to submit to it again? I hope you say, I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to be what God has called me to be. I'm going to be like Jesus. If that's the case, I I challenge you today to tell somebody. Tell somebody, somebody you trust. Get them on your side. They'll help you. They'll help you in your fight. The fight for your life in, in some cases. 